Hey folks, and welcome to this latest episode of the Small Tech Podcast by EC. I'm your host, Raf, and today we're going to be doing something that I've wanted to do for a while, but haven't been able to yet. We're doing an interview. We're going to be talking to Sam Chan, VP of Programs at Launch Academy. Launch Academy is a community here in Vancouver that has helped me out a lot, has helped loads of local entrepreneurs and people from around the world, really, who are coming to Canada to set up their businesses and expand into North America. Sam has done so much work with so many of these people. I thought he would be a great person to talk to about how to launch a small tech product. So without further ado, let's get into it. My interview with Sam Chan. Yeah. Hi, Sam. Awesome, Raf. Happy to be here. <laughs> yeah. Do you want and to introduce uh, yourself? Yeah. Like, I mean, like, my name's Sam. I've been around tech companies basically my whole career. Work for a lot of names that you've never heard of. Worked remotely in 2008, long before it was cool. And then now back to being not cool. Worked for places like BlackBerry. I worked in the mobile developer scene for a couple of years as well. And, and I think most known for these days, I spent the last nine years at a nonprofit tech incubator in Vancouver, BC called Launch Academy. We've helped grow, raise, fund, not directly fund. We're a nonprofit, as I mentioned, but uh, over, I think it's 3,000 companies, $3 billion raised in 35 plus different countries as well uh, over the last 10 years, 12 years now. I said 10 because I don't count the COVID years, but like <laughs> we, we were busy then too. Yeah. So yeah, I'm curious if you can, I don't know, talk to what is it that you see um, successful, small, small tech companies do? What, what are some commonalities, some patterns that, that you see in, in their product? It's a very, loaded question very and, broad and question. one that <laughs> many thousands of hours of podcasts have spent time trying to derive and you know, what is the central way? Right. Yeah, yeah. How do you grow something from ideation into reality? And that's even the slogan on a lot of events, programs, et cetera, right? I think at launch, we've spent, again, a very early part of the decade working with what we call ideation companies. And I don't know how startup focused the listeners may be. So feel free to just, like ignore me if I'm like explaining like you're five or something like that. <laughs> but I don't know who you are. So I can assume that. But but like we spend a lot of our time working with folks that that want to build something. Some of them technically know how, like in terms of skill set to, to build. Um, some of them don't. And, and so like the programming, uh, the courses that we have built for folks like really have to cater to both parties. And of course, like non-technical myself, right? Like I've lived my life surrounding around really technical people. And so I always joke, like I'm always the dumbest person in any room I'm in. But somehow I'm in the room, right? So maybe I did something right. <laughs> but like when someone originally comes to us and they're, you know, we're talking about brand new, we also work with companies that, that are growing and in growth stages as well, right? So that's not the only thing we do at launch. But yeah. in terms of working with ideation companies, it's always around focused around like problems versus solutions. And the biggest fraction, I think, is like when we go back to the origin of why someone starts to create something like and kind of digging a little bit deeper, usually it's, there's a pain somewhere, right? Yeah. Like you either it's a lot of times for founders, it's their own pain. Maybe I'm working at Microsoft, my day-to-day -day job, and they're like, I have to do this thing over and over and over and over again. I'm tired of doing this. I could just create blank and I don't have to do this. Yeah. And so that, that is the problem that that you're trying to solve. And immediately you go to, how do I fix that problem? I could do this. I could scrape that. I could add in this plugin, so on and so forth. I can push that and then boom, it's good. Problem right? solved. Yeah. Problem solved. 
right? And in many cases, I think it does solve that original founder's problem. Yeah. Um, but the difference between, and that, that's like, I think that's great use of your time in terms of keeping your brain fresh, right? Because I think a lot of us, like when we start working and I'm talking more, it could, you could be a developer, you could be, oh, you could be a business analyst, you could be a marketer, like stuff starts to get mundane when you're doing like monotonous work. And yeah. I think creating new ways to, or more efficient ways to solve your problem. I always joke that lazy people are the best because lazy people are willing to work themselves out of a job in theory, right? <laughs> yeah. If, if yeah. <laughs> and, but that means that they have to put that creative juice to work and that keeps you fresh. So I don't look down on lazy people, I think is the takeaway <laughs> from this. But yeah, and a lot of people leave it there, right? Problem solved and, and then they go on with their day and that's cool. Yeah. Then maybe 5%, 1% of those folks are like, hey, what if other people have that problem too? Yeah. Right? Yeah, And I think that's where the creation of a lot of things end up happening. I don't want to say by mistake, but because they recognize there's pain points and there's a market for that pain, right? Yeah. And that pain is universal or more than just is very specific to my pain. Oh, have you seen people deal with figuring out whether or not their pain is actually one worth solving for other people? Like whether it's a dollar value or just there's actually an audience there or, yeah. I think that's a, the pivot point and like the first mistake early founders make. Yeah. They had a pain point. They solved it with whatever their solution is. Yeah. And going forward, when they start to create what they would consider their company, yep. the focus is all about, look at this thing I've made. Look at this solution I've created. Raph, isn't this solution great? And Raph, <laughs> you're a nice guy. So you'll be like, yeah, it looks pretty good, right? Yeah. But actually for a founder looks pretty good and not acting on it is like the worst feedback ever because you <laughs> yeah. you internally you feel good about yourself. I want to know it's bad yeah I'm like I want to know how to make it something that you would put your hard-earned money for right yeah give me a hundred bucks I know I'm yeah I know I'm being very like again you and I have had many inside <laughs> conversation about this but regardless of your focus on capitalism or whatever yeah everything needs to be funded in one form or matter right yeah and that goes into a whole different conversation of customer versus user. And we can dive into that if you want. But just focusing back on, on the solution part is the biggest mistake that people make is when they are solution-oriented versus problem-obsessed, I think is the fancy startup term that people I, use. That's funny. I don't think I'd actually come across that specific phrasing. I like that. What Take was it? it. Problem-obsessed. Okay, problem-obsessed instead of solution. Yeah, yeah, because you want to be, yeah, you want to be obsessed with what's the pain that like if someone if you're not solving someone's pain point then what's the point your product exactly be and, very and, I, shiny think, and... I, I think it's because we all start out with the problem but once yeah. we find a solution we put all our focus and all our eggs in the basket on that solution right yeah. this watch app is going to change everyone's life like this watch app is the best not realizing that the core demographic of people who have this pain do not have smart watches. <laughs> yeah. So, so yeah, in theory, it would solve their pain, but now you're not just selling them your watch app, you're also selling them the watch. <laughs> and you're also selling them the data plan that comes with the watch. And yeah. guess what? Now it's unaffordable. Yeah. yeah. Right? So, so I think the difficult part is not stopping being obsessed with the problem after you have an initial solution. Yeah. Right? So, so it might the solution might work for you and maybe your small group of friends, does it scale, right? Yeah. Do more people have this problem and enough me people to 
reach what you consider a critical mass that is worth pursuing as a business. Yeah. Right. And that's the journey that people, that's not a very enjoyable part of the journey, <laughs> especially when you're basically going out asking people to tell you what you think is crap. Right. Yeah. Because that is the most helpful thing. Right. If, if they're telling, if you think of it as if it's a combination lock and everybody's telling you those numbers are good, but the lock is not unlocking. All the advice that's been given to you is actually useless. You need people to tell you like that five is it's wrong. Yep. It should be a four. It should be a three. And that's how you get closer to unlocking it. But yep. everybody tells you it's good. It's useless. Yeah. I'm curious with all of that in mind, do you have like, have you seen companies, I don't know, build out like frameworks or ways of thinking and working around like gathering that information? Like, how do you keep track? How do you make sure like beyond just like seeing some dollars come in or not who how do you stay aware as a company of like whether you are focused on the right problem and whether you do actually have the right audience like so uh, there's a yeah. couple of things there i think to start with you need to have a little bit of self-awareness yeah. right so you got to know whether you're the guy or person that loves to build stuff right and yeah. you and i both know plenty of people that just love to build and like there's absolutely nothing wrong with that I, I don't call that a business. I call that playing with Lego, right? Yeah. And it's a great thing to build and create and whatever, right? And I think if you're satisfied with that and that gives you fulfillment, that gives you joy, keep doing it. Ignore, are we allowed to swear on this? Ignore all the BS of startup land, raising money, like all that stuff. You don't need it and yeah. you can ignore all the advice that comes out, right? Just keep building, right? That's yeah. perfectly fine, yeah. right? But if you think that you have an aspiration to do something larger to run a business out of it to maybe have it feed your family to whatever your goals are right then you got to recognize okay what are my strengths what are my limitations if i'm the builder that usually means i have a bias toward hey i want this thing to work um, yeah but i may be less interested in making sure that it's affordable and it's accessible and it's reachable for the masses however you want to define masses right so I think that's recognizing the first point. And, and then once you're honest with yourself, and, and of course, I'm giving a very stereotypical, hey, I'm a developer. I like building. I don't like selling. <laughs> I feel like, like I don't, you're talking about me, Sam. <laughs> I'm definitely not talking about you. But like, I, that is a stereotype, right? But if you're a developer that also likes selling, like, that's great, right? Don't, I don't want to dismiss that. And th those folks are absolutely out there. And the reverse is, of course, absolutely true too, right? Like people who just want to talk and never actually build anything. Yeah. So there's all types of people out there. But I think the first point is like recognizing which one of those you are. Yeah. And then the second point is understanding like, hey, if I'm not that other part, let's say I'm the builder, not the seller, am I willing to be the seller until I find a partner that can sell with me? Right? And I don't mean a staff. I'm going to that's going to walk alongside you that has the same vision and beliefs that you do. So if you are a seller and not a builder, then please come to ifmfcreative.ca where we can be your builder partner. I'm getting the referral fee for that, right? <laughs> yeah. The plug is there because that is who we like to work with. People who have ideas and don't know how to make them work and who can sell them but don't know how to materialize them. I feel like I set you up for that. Yeah, um, thank you. But yeah, I think that is the first step. And then depending on which role you end up playing, keep in mind that if you're starting a business, yes, that is your strength. Doesn't mean you don't work on your weaknesses, at least in the beginning, right? Like yeah. if you think that you're just going to be just the technical guy or just the selling guy, don't think that you're not going to be involved with product. There's only one person on the team or two people on the team, right? Like you're going to, 
you need to have a breadth of understanding of majority of the company, yeah. right? And so with that, once you get there, in terms of talking about like, how do you methodically find out if people have the same problem with you is you got to go out and ask, right? Yeah. And this is the, even people who sell don't really like doing this, to be yeah. completely honest with you. Like nobody really likes doing this. I have met some personalities that enjoy going door to door. It's really strange. Oh, like we've all been like had our, <laughs> open our door and like they're selling chocolates, they're selling something, whatever. But there are some people that that enjoy that. They don't mind just give them something to sell. Um, but oh, the man, majority like of people I've calling. met, exactly, the majority of people I've met don't aren't really fond of that. What I would call like grunt grind work, yeah. but it has to be done. So when I talk to more more successful founders and accessing that they're experienced, they maybe they've built some products that have had millions of users or they've exited or however you want to define success. Like yeah. they've done this a couple of times, right? It sounds ridiculously easy from their point of view. I was talking to the founder, I think it was Matt Smith, who's one of the founders of, of both Later and Thinkific. Later, I think recently, uh, both are launch alumni. Later, I think recently got acquired or, or they merged or something like that. Don't quote me on that. Sorry, sorry, Matt, <laughs> if I said it wrong. Um, and then Thinkific is a public company. So, so like they, he scaled a few things now and then. And he, when he said it, I'm like, he's like, how do you find initial users? It's really easy. You find 10 people who have similar traits to the problem that you're trying to solve. Yeah. And then you say, hey, do you want this? And do you want to buy it? Yeah. And some will, five will say yes, five will say no, that's fine. Go until you find 10 that say yes. Right. Yeah. Whatever method that is, right? whether it's friends and family, maybe it's your LinkedIn, maybe it's cold calling. That part doesn't really matter. Yeah. Just get to 10. Yeah. Once you have those 10 yeses, then you go, great. Do you have 10 friends that you can recommend at, that can use my stuff? Yeah. And so the way he describes it, you have 100 users. That's one like 90% of startups out there, right? Yeah. And so when he says That's it like true. that, it sounds really easy. Getting um, those but, 10 and getting 10 get, who actually are like exactly ready to exactly. drop dollars. Yeah. But the secret is there's no secret, right? Like yeah. you need that 10. It's just hard get, work. You'll never get to 100 without 10. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, I am a math major. <laughs> yeah. I think there was a previous video that I did on, on actually, it might have been on a different podcast. But, but about keeping track of both quantitative and qualitative data, like you want to talk to people, you want to get a sense of how they feel about what you're building and not just keep track of like your Google Analytics, because on some level, the numbers can lie. Yeah. So. And I think just be aware of your own biases, right? Yeah. Like, I think that's one of the most difficult things is like. Numbers I like don't. my product. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and it's like, oh, only two out of 10 liked it. But the other eight, they're losers. So they don't really count. So really, it's like two out of two, which is 100%, which is pretty great. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. I'm curious, uh, with the stuff that you're doing at Lawn, do you see any trends in like, the types of products that people are building? I don't know if that's like, you could talk about like LLMs and AI driven stuff. Is there more and more of that? What what kind of tools and, and products are, are people building out there? Def so so we also run something called Launch Builders, which I know you're a fan of. You've been a great attendee for the last couple. Um, it's so much fun. Yeah, we, we do them two, every two months. So if you're interested, I'm, I'm sure Raf can get you the details on this podcast. But what we do in those sessions is we, we do an open call and we ask for, for anybody who's building something cool. And, and then we ask them to tell us why it's cool and why they should present. And then we pick what are the most interesting ones. And then they do the demo live again once every two months. Uh, right now, we're only doing it in Vancouver. If you want me to come to your city, let's talk. <laughs> I'm super open to that. But yeah, the idea is being in Vancouver specifically. 
we realize there's a lot of people building a lot of cool stuff, but there's not enough spaces for us to talk about it. There's a lot of space once you're ready to, to raise money and pitch and, and go through your projections and all that stuff. But in terms of tinkering with cool toys, beta toys, alpha toys, like I'm using this word very loosely here, right? Where I imagine if you're listening to this, you're some degree of a nerd. <laughs> and I'm not even meaning that in a dismissive way. Like I'm huge nerd. Um, and so I like seeing cool toys, cool gadgets that I can get my hands around, right? And so, so really like builders about, hey, if you could see the next five iPhones, wouldn't you want to? Um, and so at that same idea, it's like, okay, hey, if you could see the next five coolest products in Vancouver, wouldn't you want to? Yeah. Um, so that's the base of it. But back to your kind of original question, definitely there's a lot of AIs. I'm super happy because I think we're starting to move past what I call the chat GPT skin products. Um, yeah. which yeah. are which are like hey we're the chat gpt for bankers we're the chat gpt for bankers that spend a lot of time in the washroom so like <laughs> it just it gets more and more specific but really yeah. the core of it is you know just the chat. user is prompting yeah. something and then chat gpt spits something out in a more organized manner right yeah so i'm just gonna just because this came up yesterday i went to langara volition student showcase and they were showing their, their products they were building real products one of the things that I think is really interesting with regard to what you're saying right here is I saw this at the student showcase yesterday. This team built a product called Learnium. And what they did is they built this system around OpenAI's APIs. And so it's using a large language model to do, you input a PDF and it breaks it down into a learning plan. So if you're a student and you've got a book that you need to get through and learn, it'll pull it apart and create flashcards and you can ask questions about the book, but it'll also use the LLM to figure out what you should be learning and basically check your answers as you do these flashcards. They're really cool. And like you, I'm so happy that we're, <laughs> we're like moving past the, oh yeah, it's like chat GPT, but with, I don't know, a bit of data about like your specific, I don't know, your persona fed into it. It's yeah, really exciting stuff. And I mean, nothing against it if you're building something like and, and that's why I go back to what is your intention right I think yeah. it's a great tool if it inspires you to learn and build something out even if it's a clone yeah. right I don't actually think there's anything wrong with, with skins or clones or you know how I'm describing them right yeah. but I just think like in the long run if you're trying to build something that's really truly like exciting and scalable and sustainable I think is the, the most key word it needs to have its own kind of value proposition yeah I agree. I feel like it, it does kind of go back to like toy versus products, because if it's just a layer on top of something else, then I don't know. Does it really have much value? Like, yeah, but building run? toys are great with what <laughs> I want people to take away is like, yeah. just because it's not going to go on the public markets doesn't mean it's not cool. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. Like a toy is fun, but you have to recognize that it's a toy. I'm kind of curious uh, if you could tell me what it's like being on your end of this whole like process. You're supporting so many people who are building products, building cool tech companies. What's it like? So I think most folks who work at incubators, program builders, I don't know what you want to define these kind of roles as support services for startups. Yeah, They're, they're all a little bit crazy. <laughs> and I mean that in the kindest sense. Yeah, but like the emotion, emotional kind of quotient, I don't know, EQ that comes with building a product, like you're building something out from scratch. And then for many founders, you see the life and death of 
those things you create. And with support services and someone in my position, and you and I have gone through this probably a couple of times where it's like, we, we see you get this idea. You're like, Hey, this is a problem. It's really interesting. I'm learning all these cool things. I plugged in all these cool SASs into the, into my product. <laughs> yeah. And then the initial traction even, right? Hey, a couple of people are using this. It's great. And then for whatever reason you hit a wall, maybe you have life circumstances that change. Oh, I'm getting married. I'm moving to X, Y, Z, Z for two years. Can't keep yeah. working on this. Microsoft gave me an offer. I can't refuse whatever. And, and it dies, right? Yeah. And, but like all of that, that, that has highs and lows. There's <laughs> a lot of peaks, a lot of valleys. Yeah. And support services, if we're being negative on a negative day, I can just be like, I've seen this movie before. Yeah. But that's not a very <laughs> nice support service. If no, they're not, like you want to work with people that are as enthused as you are, right? Yeah. But the, the reality is when on those down and on those lows, you might feel low, right? But you feel low once or twice, or depending on how many products you make, you feel low that many times. Yeah. I will be working with a hundred different companies. Oh, yeah. If it's that, 50 right? lows like... every single time, <laughs> you know, yeah. I'm going to go out of my mind depressed. Yeah. And that's if I'm at maximum empathy, uh, um, yeah. maximum, I really want this to work for you. And so, so the healthy balance that, that my team and I have are forever continuing to try and work on yeah. is that. How do we have the right amount of excitement for our founders when they find initial success or that the moment, but also not let the lows kick us in the nuts, which they both are bound to happen, right? Yeah. And, and so that is the tough part and why, honestly, when I talk about like having worked at launch for nine years, people are generally surprised now because most folks in my position do not stay that long at one place. That, yeah, it does sound potentially exhausting. Also, I guess like exciting if you've got 50 lows, but you also have 50 highs, hopefully. <laughs> it just depends on what's your latest thing. But right? yeah. So depending on when you ask me, like <laughs> some, something could be really exciting or something could be really down. Um, yeah. But I think to some degree, like you have to have a little bit of schizophrenia too. Again, I'm using this very loosely. I'm not trying to yeah. Minish medical conditions and things like that. But yeah. one one end, I'll be talking about tech and talking to a company about how to help the next generation of children. Yeah. Next thing, I'll be talking to someone who with a product in Medicare and how to have people die honorably, you know, at peace. And there's tech to support them with their last days. And yeah. so you jump around from place to place really quickly and yeah. all have their part in the world and all have their own version of meaning. Um, yeah. But they're no way related to each other. Yep. Sounds like a wild ride. Okay. So last little thing. Uh, we're going to wrap this up with what is one small tech product, not like a, a Google Docs or like a HubSpot or even at this point, I'm going to call Thinkific a big tech product. Uh, yeah. What's a neat small tech product that has significantly impacted your life, the way you do things? I don't know. Something that's been good for you. So you mean I can't say Notion? Here's my referral code. <laughs> yeah, no. So. Uh, what if I threw a curveball and said Notion anyway? You know, what's funny is <laughs> I don't use Notion. You just but... want the, the sweet referral dollars from our 12 <laughs> listeners? Yeah. I don't even know the ref my referral code at this rate. But the tool that I was going to mention is as you start out on your products, yeah. here's the persona that I'm imagining folks like listening to this might be on, right? Yeah. Some of them will be working part full time on their product. And so... They have their own company like Raph, right? Some of them yeah. will, maybe they do some consultants, some services. They they have some things in the background they're working on on top of their full-time job. And then there's going to be some that are just full-time working, some of them are enthusiasts, 
right? Yeah. I'd say one of the first things that happened when someone creates a company, it probably shouldn't be the first thing that happens, but we, we <laughs> all know it happens, is they'll go buy a domain name, they'll get their own inbox, they'll go raff at newcompany.com and go, look at this, my shiny new email. I feel right? called out. And I've done that more than a couple of times. So <laughs> you're not the only guilty one here. And, and then, of course, you start to take meetings or, or you start to have some of those cold calls that we talked about and, and all that kind of stuff. And so for, for me, like the tool that I've talked about definitely in, in our launch, we have this series called Tool Time where we share different tools um, within it. It's called Cron. So that's C-R-O-N. But I'm not actually promoting Cron because I think there's other, it's a calendar app. Um, that's okay. owned by Notion now. They got acquired by Notion. So technically I'm saying Notion. Okay, um, I see, I see. Yeah. But but I don't care about the notes part at all. I think they're going to have some integrations in the long run. So if you're already using Notion, I think it's a no-brainer to use Cron. Um, but even within Cron, like it, to me, it's just another calendar. So really it's which interface you prefer and all that kind of stuff. Okay. The key feature that I want to highlight is this one little feature that I have no idea what they call it, but now I can't live without it. And what happens is, when you start a new project, you will probably still have a personal email, which is what you do when you go to Safeway and they ask you for your email to, to get the receipt. Um, you'll have your work email at Microsoft or, or Apple or wherever the heck it is you work, and you have that inbox. And both of those will have calendars. And then now you're going to have another calendar for this new venture with this new email that, that you just created. They have this one really nifty feature where if I book a call with Raf on my new company, it blocks off the time on my other calendars. Oh, that is really practical. Yeah. And so yep. it's just that one feature. Oh. Like I use it in Cron. Maybe you have another calendar app that uses it and that's fine. Don't move to Cron, whatever. Yeah. But that has been a life changer. It's too late. I just signed up. Oh, it's fine. Just use it for that. <laughs> um, and, and like really what it ends up being is like maybe you guys have kids or whatever. And it's like, okay, I have to pick up the kids for 15 minutes from 3 to 15. I don't really want to put that on my work calendar because that seems like kind of stupid so what you do is you put pick up kids on your your home calendar on your work calendar it will stay busy yeah right and that makes sure because we all have calendly and different things out there that like people can just sign up and book a meeting with me randomly and i, I may not even know until i check it later this allows those block offs to, to be actually blocked off that aligns that allows you to separate your work from your life in a way but we all live in the same 24 hour like time spear. So at the end of the day, if I'm doing something at three, I can't be doing something else at three um, or I shouldn't be. <laughs> so, so that, that's my key tip. Hopefully it's helpful. I love it. That's, I literally just signed up while you were talking about it. Cause I was like, that is something that I have run into so often between like my personal and professional emails. That is fantastic. And my wife signed up for cron just uses that feature. She never uses cron. Yeah, I was actually going to ask, is it just kind of like a set it and forget it sort of thing? Like you yeah, set it up once have, and then you just use it. kind of, yeah. Yeah. That is, Until it breaks. <laughs> yeah, that is fantastic. Uh, cool. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for being on the podcast. Uh, do you, uh, you want to plug launch or plug something else? Or Sure. Yeah. If you are working on a startup, feel free. We're friendly. Feel free to chat us. Uh, you can email me at sam at launchacademy.ca. You can find me on Twitter. I think our, our company Twitter is launchacademyhq on pretty much every single platform where I think we're on all of them. And if we're not on a platform, email me and tell me we're not on that platform. <laughs> and we'll go from there. Awesome. This has been another episode of the Small Tech Podcast. First one with a guest. Uh, thanks to the amazing Sam Chan for being on board and, and chatting uh, with me about building small tech products. And 
We all want to do something good in the world, so go out there and build something good, folks. I will see you in the next episode. See ya. Bye.